Welcome to the It Was a Thing on TV podcast. This is the first episode, submission number 001, Match Game Hollywood Squares Hour, which ran from October 31st of 1983 until July 27th of 1984 for a total of 191 episodes. Greg, you got your Hollywood Squares in my match game. Mike, you got my match game in my Hollywood Squares. Two great tastes that taste great together. Nothing could go wrong with this, right? (laughs) 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 Unlike Reese's Cups, two great tastes don't necessarily go together that well. Match Game in Hollywood Squares had long lives from the 60s through the early 80s, each lasting over 15 years. So they're two probably of the most popular game shows in history. And then somebody somewhere at NBC said, hey, let's combine the two of them together. It was like combining nuts and gum. It was good in theory. I mean, seriously, in theory, but there were some little rules changes, or not necessarily rules changes, but mindsets that uh, Mark Goodson had, which really made the show not that good, or at least part of the show not that good. Uh, First, the hosts of the shows, you had Gene Rayburn, who reprised his hosting from Match Game, which he hosted back in the 60s up until... Uh, the eventual cancellation of the syndicated show in 1982. He came back to do Match Game, which is perfect because he's Mr. Match Game. But they couldn't get Peter Marshall to do Hollywood Squares. Maybe not couldn't, or maybe they just didn't want to get Peter Marshall for Hollywood Squares. Uh, From what I've read online, somebody at NBC uh, originally planned to have Gene Rayburn hosting both parts. Which would have been interesting. I think Gene Rayburn would have been the perfect uh, foil for the comedy if they utilized zingers, which we'll get into later. Uh, Instead, uh, there was an edict that they wanted two hosts. And so did they bring along a host who's had some experience running a game show? Absolutely not. Who did they get, Greg? They got Bowser from Shanana. John Bowser Bauman from Shanana. And maybe one of the good things is he didn't play uh, host in the Bowser character. He was actually formally dressed, didn't have the slick back greaser hairstyle from the 50s. Um, he, to, to call him wooden would be an offense to wood. He was real stiff, used the same lines all the time, couldn't really ad-lib. He was a competent player at the match game part, but his hosting on Hollywood Squares 
was robotic to say the least. Well, when you watch the original version of Squares, like Peter Marshall moves the game along. Whenever you watch the match game out Squares Hour on Buzzer as has been starting to air the last couple weeks. I mean, when you watch John, it it's like he he's 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 not moving the show along. I don't know if I don't know if as they get along in the buzzer run of the show as we go into the next six or seven months if it gets better or not. But it's kind of it's kind of you gotta move it along. You gotta keep it going a little bit. Indeed, the the stars got a little hammy, and even on an episode earlier this week. Uh, which was from the third week of the show, uh, John Bauman actually tells the stars, you know, like, move along, move along. Uh, uh, the champion's tr- uh, trying to catch up or whatever. And even the other celebrities, they took their uh, match game blank cards and started writing stuff about, you know, th- this is going to take some time or move along or whatever. So even the celebrities involved with the game knew that other celebrities were hamming it up too much, which you know, may have been fun in the studio, but really was just a, a time waster and a nuisance. And I, I and honestly, it's from people that you really well, I shouldn't say people, but at least one person you wouldn't expect. Fred Travelina was bad at doing this, just wasting time doing impressions. And yes, we know you can do Ronald Reagan, and we know that. You're the man of a thousand voices, but you know we're we're playing a game here. This isn't your stand-up. This isn't your comedic set. Uh, but the one that really surprised me, and she never did this on any other show, was Edie McClurg. Oh yeah, and, you, and, you, you and, really and, had a problem with this. Yeah, Edie McClurg. She had been on the original match game. Well, not the original, but the, the 70s version of match game and the 80s, the, the syndicated version. I was going to say, Mike, did you have a time machine and you saw all the 60s episodes of match game? I, I don't want to reveal my, my secret about my TARDIS. Um, but but um, she played it straight. She wasn't this goofy acting out character. And she also played other games. Uh, she was on Match Game in 1990 and 91. She was pretty sure she was on uh, Win, Lose, or Draw, uh, other shows of that era, because she was doing the Hogan family slash Valerie slash whatever it was called that week. So she made the rounds, but she was just like off the, the just crazy, just acting really bizarre, goofy faces, goofy voices. Not the, and and we really didn't understand them. I mean, there's no backstory. She doesn't have any characters. She's not doing an impersonation. She's just acting sort of like a a ditzy valley girl. But uh, yeah, that that was one really bad thing about the Hollywood Squares portion. The uh, other is that Mark Goodson sort of. Um, didn't follow suit with how Hollywood squares ran for the, you know, previous 15, 16 years where you had zingers, little comedic lines, uh, because Mark, Mark Goodson was, 
he didn't want to feed the celebrities the answers because that sort of smelled to him like why television and game shows in general got in trouble in the late 50s. Yes. It, and if you watch the original Howard Squares again, the zing, the Poland zingers, you know, the, you know, the little things by the celebrities after a question is revealed and the funny joke. And then here's the, here's the real answer. And then the contestant says, do you agree or disagree? That was a formula that worked for an NBC for like what? 14, 15 years. And Goodson's like, no, no. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, and so what do we get instead? Which one's older? Dolly Parton or the pop-up toaster? Okay, first, what does Dolly Parton have in common with a pop-up toaster? Uh, well, think, now that I, I think, think about you. it. <laughs> yeah, she had things that popped out, not necessarily popped up, but, well, we're, we're going to try hey. and keep this at a clean rating. Yeah, we don't want that explicit rating on iTunes. Absolutely now watch, not. We're, now watch, we're going to get the explicit rating in like three shows. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, the questions were like that. It was either this or that. Or you had three choices, A, B, or C. It wasn't really, there were, there were open-ended questions, but they really relied, especially in the first you know three weeks that we've seen, which is older, A or B. And there was usually some connection between A and B. It's just not a fun game. Um, plus also, yeah, not, not, yeah there aren't the, the funny lines that we mentioned, the singers. Gene Rayburn takes the Hollywood Squares portion really seriously. He does not goof around there. He explains oh, no. his answers. He, he he's very thorough, um, and it's not necessarily because there are no zingers. I think he's just that type of person. Although he really did have a good line in week two about was it Tom Kennedy singing? Oh, that was a great bluff. That was a great bluff. Uh, the question had to do with uh, which game show host was a singer for the Cheers uh, back I think in the fifties or sixties. And Tom and uh, Gene Rayburn mentioned Tom Kennedy's baritone singing voice, which fooled the contestant. Uh, but, but obviously that wasn't like a, ha- a handwritten line that uh, Mark Goodson or one of the writers would have given him. That was something he came up with on the top of his head. And admittedly, Burt Convey really has never been the most popular of game show hosts. He did Tattletales. He did Super Password. He hosted the the Match Game pilot in 1990, and then he unfortunately oh he also did Win Lose or Draw, but then it's like what else is there? He and unfortunately he passed away shortly after the Match Game pilot w- was aired in 19 or not aired but recorded in 1990. But yeah, uh, it, the the Match Game part was the Match Game we know and love. Maybe they're weren't really definitive answers. Maybe the writing wasn't up to par, but it was the same game that the uh, PM version used. I believe it was in the last, 
don't, was it from the start of PM that they played three rounds, or was that impl- uh, uh, was that started uh, when the Star Wheel came around? I th- it might be the syndicated version. They played three rounds. No, Syndicated played two because uh, okay, there's two. Then, then, then the Star Wheel, and then they brought back both contestants, did two more rounds Star Wheel. Then they got rid of both contestants and brought two new contestants aboard. Okay, so then it would have been PM. It, it was PM. I just don't know if it was in the beginning or if that was added on after the first season or if it came around in 78 with the star wheel, but regardless they played the match game PM version, essentially in the main, uh, the, the match game portion outside of the tiebreaker, which we'll get to in a second. So it was just, you know, usual pick a or B here's the question. And th- they included some of the old characters from the, the match game that we know and love. They had dumb Dora and old man, Perry Winkle. Uh, and, and then there were, some other characters, including one whose name got bleeped this week because of a a, a term uh, regarding short people. Oh, yeah. Billy Barty's uh, estate would not be very happy. Yeah. Uh, just a hint for those of you who are out of the loop. Uh, it rhymes with Gidget. Sally Field? <laughs> <laughs> Close enough. <laughs> uh, so yeah, the game played is normal, and uh, they usually got through either five or six questions. So yeah, sometimes the games ended in a six-six tie, or just a tie in general. It doesn't have to be six-six. And they played a new tiebreaker, and I I actually like this one. I don't know how you feel about it, Greg. I like it. What they did is instead of doing tiebreaker questions or what they did in the uh, syndicated version, which would be ask an open-ended question, contestants write down their answers, and the first one to match a celebrity would win, they gave four predetermined answers that would fill in the blank. And by number, one, two, three, or four, the contestant would say, I'd like number two, or I'd like number four, or number three. And... Basically, it played out the same way. The celebrities would give their answers, and then the first one to match would win, which I can see for time purposes that being good. It's not bad. I mean, it's actually sort of clever, but the issue leads to going through three, four, five celebrities until you get a right answer. And even on the first tiebreaker, one of the celebrities had matched one of the answers that wasn't picked. I think it was the third celebrity. I forget who it was, but they just played on and it went another one or two people until, oh, I got, you know, this predetermined answer I chose. Not bad, but obviously not good because you're sort of limiting the choices for the contestants. And then after that, we get the big transition. We go from match game to Hollywood squares the back of the second tier and the entire third tier swings into place, which and really you know was, I, which really was something back in 1983. Oh, oh Mike, it was very impressive in 1983, but I, I will say this in 2019, when I see the, the rotation and they add the set on the next part of the set on, I can't help but get the urge to say, let's rotate the board. 
I knew you were going to make a number Wang reference. Beautiful. Beautiful. Well, let's sort of halfway rotate the board. <laughs> and, and then it's very impressive because you've got it's not like the ori- it's not like the original Hollywood Squares or the Davidson or the Bergeron version where you had the massive squares with like the stairways and everything. I mean, you have this nice stairway, but I mean, the way it looks on camera, it, it looks like when you see the whole set together with the squares that light up and everything, it looks like, you know, you don't even notice it. The best comparison, and I don't know if you've seen this, is if you've ever watched Hip Hop Squares on VH1. It's basically the same thing, except uh, obviously with 2017, 18, 19 technology, they have these LCD monitors instead of, I'm guessing, what would be slide projections back in 83. Slide projections are some sort of, I don't know if it was slide projections, but they lit up the square and you had some cutout of an X or an O. It's sort of the same thing uh, in that regard. But yeah, I mean, that technology was amazing in 1983, and we're going to get back to that in a second, because because that was mind-blowing back in the day. Uh, Hollywood Squares, like we said, there weren't zingers, and there were some gameplay differences, uh, which helped speed up the game. I actually think they were good for speeding up the game, Yes. but also at the same time, you needed to speed up the game a little bit because you had a lot of padding and hamming it up from the celebrities. Uh, The big difference was when you are in a uh, situation to block a square, if you get it wrong, your opponent automatically gets a square, doesn't have to earn it himself or herself. So that led to quicker games somewhat. I mean, there's some episodes of Match Game Hollywood Squares where they got through at least three full games, if not even a fourth full game. Because, I mean, some of the scores we've seen just in the first three weeks there's been nine hundred dollars nine hundred fifty dollars a thousand twenty five dollars but then also we've seen some shows where there's not much right answers happening and uh we're not many right answers happening i i i speak good i speak good english uh thanks wes yeah yeah there's a wes welker joker i speak spanish but the games would last so long that they'd only play maybe one and a half games. So you'd have winning scores of $250 or $300. Uh, but also, there's just been some bad gameplay because there was an episode, not this past week, but the, the second week of the series, where there was exactly one right answer in the first 11 questions. Oh, and Gene was Gene basically spoke for everybody. This is a dumb off if I've ever seen one. Yeah, I mean, Gene Rayburn pulled out the dumb off line from Match Game. Uh, one out of 11, and I believe the one correct answer in the group actually won game one. So, yeah, I, I mean, you can con- uh, attribute that to bad gameplay, just bad luck. Especially, again, since we said a lot of the questions are binary choices. Is it A or is it B? Oh, I'll choose B. Wrong. It's A. Opponent gets the square. Uh, and, yeah, that actually takes me back to uh, 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 John Bauman 
when I said he was stiff and just couldn't ad lib, you were right to agree. You you are right to disagree. You are wrong to agree. You are wrong to disagree. You should have disagreed. You, you should have disagreed. It's like okay, there's more than one way of saying that. You come off as robotic, and and I don't even remember Peter Marshall ever saying you are wrong to agree or or you are right to disagree. It was always you know give the answer, circle gets the square, X gets the square. It seemed like John was trying, maybe even trying a little hard, trying to maybe even maybe get a catchphrase. But, yeah, he was no Peter Marshall. So uh, the games would play until a certain time, a certain number of minutes, and then you'd hear a loud school bell, very reminiscent of a loud school bell, not the the uh, the, the corny buzzer, or tacky buzzer that was used on Hollywood Square's the original run. No, it's the bell they got from the Saved by the Bell opening later. I don't think you're wrong there. I, I think it, it might be the same bell. If Hollywood Squares ended in a tie, they would go to a tie-breaking question, just like the, the original show used to do. After that, the winner went on to the Supermatch for a chance to win up to $30,000. What? Yeah, 30000 and that was some really good money. That's good money now, but that was like amazing money back in 1983, especially considering the uh, match game. Uh, when it came back in 73, the top prize was 5000 Then it was up to 10000 when the Star Wheel came along, and the PM version went uh, ten to 20000 uh, thirty thousand was was big bucks, and I believe you figured out how much this is. Uh, it's worth nowadays through the inflation calculators. It's worth something like eighty five thousand dollars in our money. It, uh, it was, I'm gonna... it, you, you, you well, you did the math on like sixty two thousand eight hundred and said it was like one hundred and seventy five thousand. So it's almost triple. So thirty thousand yeah. would be like in the range of eighty five to ninety thousand dollars, which can get you a decent house nowadays, or maybe not decent, but c- considering how much mine costs, yeah, it could get you a house possibly. <laughs> Inflation calculator says thirty thousand dollars in nineteen eighty-three and two thousand nineteen would be seventy-seven thousand three hundred thirty-seven dollars and five cents. Okay, so you're talking Tesla money. Uh seventy-seven thousand. That's more than a lot of people make in a year. That's that's some good money. And so the game played similar, not not exactly 100% the same as the, the 70s Super Match. You still had the, the top three answers on the board uh, from a survey that was asked to the audience members. And instead of $500 for the top answer, $250 for the second, and $100 for the third, it was $1,000 for the top answer, $500 for the second, and $250 for the third. And if you bombed, and this actually is really a benefit if you totally bombed you still got a hundred dollars they if so you, you get bombed, money. i'm you sorry get money for doing nothing if they bombed out on the 70s match game uh, pm version they did a celebrity match where they went to all six celebrities and if you matched them you won a hundred dollars and and actually they ended up winning like i think 600 they swept the board and it's like okay that's not really fair because yeah, somebody might only get the top answer and win $500, and you totally bombed it, and you won 600 
But regardless, so a uh, thousand for the top answer, five hundred for the second, two fifty for the third. If you blow it, you still get a hundred dollars, just so you can play the the celebrity match. And actually, that does make sense. So it, it sounds, you know, I know what you're saying. Oh, you blow it, and you earn a hundred dollars. But at the same time, it's not, not going to be two or three minutes of dead air at the end of the show. You're playing a celebrity match where the contestants still can win a nice $3,000. So, uh, as I said, um, four of the celebrities have 10s, four of the celebrities have 20s, and one has a 30. And that's the multiplier that your winnings will be multiplied by. So so 30 times $1,000 would be $30,000. And it, it, it even you know getting a 10, $10,000 back in the day, I mean, that was like the base top prize on game shows, more or less. Everything was giving away $10,000 if you win, $10,000 if you get the bonus round or whatever, pretty much. And one person, and this just aired this week, happened to get the $30,000 not once, but twice, and on consecutive days. Yeah, what are the odds, Mike, that you would win $30,000 on back-to-back shows? Well, I mean, (laughs) you're asking a math teacher. I don't want to get too deep into the math. I mean, obviously, the first thing you need to do, and there's no way you can put a percentage on it, is you need to get the thousand dollars in in the uh, audience matches, but then you've got a one in nine chance each time. So if to get the thirty on two consecutive tries is a ninth times a ninth, which is one out of eighty-one, so that's a little bit over one percent. And again, you need to make sure that you win the audience match to get the thousand dollars in order to even just qualify for possibly winning the $30,000. So it's, needless to say, a long shot. Yes, it's it's very hard to get the one celebrity that has the 30 and have a shot at the $30,000. Although, as we've seen in the past two weeks and going back to when they had the, uh, the preview week on Buzzer back in February of the episodes two through five in the first week, some of these, some of these answers are in 1983. If you're viewing it from 2019 odds, you can tell what the most popular answer was in 1983. If yeah, if you knew your pop culture references in 1983, you will make money. We've seen that just in the last two episodes. Real blank. There is a very popular show back in the early 80s called Real People. And then Blank Blues, big show that came around about a year earlier, maybe two years earlier, Hill Street Blues. And then Eddie Blank, biggest movie star uh, probably uh, at the time in 1983-84 was Eddie Murphy. Flash Blank, biggest movie in 83 without a doubt was... Flash dance. So as long as you know your pop culture references, you, uh, you're really almost guaranteed to make money. Yeah, I, I, I mean, uh, I'm sorry. I want to hear what you're going to say. Then I'm going to tell you what I was going to say. It seems like NBC really wanted to make subliminal references to all their hits because you have Hill Street Blues, you have Real People, 
And also, you have Eddie Murphy, who was on SNL at the time. Yes, he was. So, yeah, and that's something that you could really tell throughout the show is NBC was really grasping for straws, trying to push their shows. A lot of the celebrities were um, were from NBC shows at the time. And we'll just go through the first week, the celebrities from the first week, and you'll see how many were on NBC shows at the time or just finished an NBC show. So Skip Stevenson was a correspondent on Real People. Allison Arngrim, just a few months earlier, uh, Little House on the Prairie got uh, ended. I'm not going to say canceled because I don't think it would have ever gotten canceled, but it ended. And so, and where was Little House on the Prairie? NBC. Jimmy Walker. Jimmy Walker, I think, and I'm sure you'd agree, Greg, was looking for a paycheck in 1983. Oh, yeah, definitely. Good Times was over. Good Might Times make- was over, and, and his dynamite catchphrase was sort of, like, waning in popularity. Yeah, it would, his, you know, that phrase wouldn't be, like, useful on television until AEW said, what should we name our show? And then they were probably watching Good Times and heard Jimmy Walker say Dynamite. like, Dynamite! That's it! Good thing they weren't watching What's Happening. <laughs> hey, hey, hey! AW rerun, <laughs> rerun just does not sound very good. AEW, hey, hey, hey! <laughs> uh, we get to one of Greg's favorites now. Twyla Littleton. She appeared in some shows. She was never a big star. Um, but we'll get into Twyla in a little bit with a theory that I have regarding celebrities. Phil Proctor. What was Phil Proctor doing in 1983? Because as you've mentioned, he was the voice of the father on Rugrats, but that wouldn't be for he, another eight years or so. He was the father of uh, Phil and Lil. Yeah, but what was he doing in 1983? That's the question we have with a lot of these celebrities when we see the episode guides. Like, what the heck were some of these celebrities doing? And honestly, I'm just doing a, a little search on uh, on Wikipedia, which of course is a great academic reference. Use it forever, kids. No, no, don't trust me because I'm a teacher and and, and I've seen too much wacky stuff go on with uh, students citing uh, Wikipedia. Uh, let's see. In terms of television shows, Richie Rich would have been around that time. Wait, there was a live-action Richie Rich? No, 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 no. Animated version. Animated, okay. animated. That's all uh, like Gene Wood can say from Richie Rich, Phil Proctor. The Smurfs. Okay, well... That's an NBC show. That's an NBC show, exactly. And that would have and that would have been uh, would have started probably about eighty two, eighty three, and was definitely probably the most popular cartoon on NBC at the time. Uh, that's all I can see for that time frame. Uh, he did announce on Big Brother for three seasons. I didn't know that. That that sort of a surprise to me. But yeah, so Phil Proctor who went on to decent stuff. Again, you may not know the name, but you know the voice for sure. And then Tom Villard, who was on We've Got It Made, 
NBC show. And then Barbie Benton, who we'll, we'll get into my special category in a second. Yeah. And then finally, Bill Daly, who was a regular on Match Game in the 70s and the early 80s. So, I mean, he almost has like, just like uh, carte blanche to go to Match Game whenever he wants. Yeah, and like, and he and he like, wouldn't have been on on uh, the Bob Newhart show that would have been canceled years before. So so at least you had some old family members, if you will, visiting the new the new show. And to their credit, they did they did bring Charles Nelson Riley back for a couple of weeks. They brought Fanny Flag. They even brought back uh, George Goble for a week from Hollywood Squares and Abby Dalton back for a week from Hollywood Squares. So they they did try to make some connections with both shows. Yeah. And one thing that uh, I've noticed is the celebrities who are good on Hollywood squares were horrible on match game and essentially vice versa. I mean, they are two diametrically opposed games. One is actually sort of knowledge based and the other is, can you, your mind be on the same wavelength as somebody else. So it, it, it was sort of catastrophic in that regard, you know, trying to see George Goble play match game when he was absolutely not a good player at it. But also, George Goble didn't have the zingers. That goes back to what we talked about earlier. I mean, George Goble could do a heck of a zinger, but the problem is when Mark Goodson says, we're not doing zingers, then you're sort of grasping at straws. Uh, 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 uh. So, yeah, uh, some of the old uh, timers were back, and they did try introducing new timers or, or new people, and obviously there was a lot of promotion for the NBC shows because we just mentioned that three of the celebrities, at least in the premiere week, were on NBC shows at the time or or just ended their runs on NBC shows. And, yeah, they, they did similar uh, – they did weeks. There was a St. Elsewhere week, and they had eight cast members from St. Elsewhere. And But also, they, they promoted other shows, too. They had a Too Close for Comfort week. That was awesome. Which is good, except Too Close for Comfort only has really five stars. So you had to fill in other slots with Arsenio Hall and... Lord um, Braverman. Yeah, Bart Braverman, and I forget who the uh, the token female was that week. I'm I'm looking at it right now. Oh, it was Elise Knight. It was Ted Knight's daughter. Oh, that's nice. Who I don't even think was on the show. I I I used to watch Too Close for Comfort reruns quite a bit the last number of years, and I don't remember uh, Elise Knight being on the show. But also one week uh, there was also a '50s week, a tribute to the '50s with Fabian, and I actually remember this when it originally aired for some reason. Uh, Fabian and other uh, 50s celebrities were in the uh, uh, on the panel. But the one week which might be the most maybe famous slash infamous week, oh. which we should see in about six weeks, so right around Thanksgiving, maybe a little bit after, was from December 26th to December 30th of 1983. It was a tribute to Leave it to Beaver. And the people who were on the panel that week 
you had Jerry Mathers as the Beave. You had um, you had Barbara Billingsley who played the mother. She played June, and then uh, Frank Bank who played Lumpy, and uh, some other names. I, I don't forget or don't remember who th- they played on the show, but Jerry Weil and Rich Carell and uh, Richard Deacon, who are all on 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 uh, on, on Leave It to Beaver. And then you have the ninth celebrity, uh, ninth celebrity after you include John Bauman or, or Gene Rayburn. And who symbolizes Leave it to Beaver better than, say it, Greg. Gallagher. Gallagher. <laughs> I get Gallagher was, was a big comic back in 1983. He had a lot of specials on Showtime. And he was known for, you know, using his sledgehammer to to absolutely pound melons into submission. But Gallagher has nothing to do with Leave It to Beaver. I mean, you know, Mike, you think that after each show, like he would at the end of the Friday show, they'd have Gallagher do the watermelon smash. You'd think they would. Seriously, you brought him on there. What's he known for? He's known for smashing watermelons. And we've all talked about this the week they had seen elsewhere. You think Howie Mandel did the rubber glove trick on his head at least once that week? That was his thing. Now, we've only seen one episode from that week, so there's a possibility he may have done it later on in the week as a time killer. But, yeah, you'd think that you know these comics would do stuff that they're known for. It almost feels like, oh, hey, we have an empty seat. Let's see who we can get here for five uh, for five episode tapings on a weekend. Oh, look, Gallagher's in town. He's doing the the Chuckle Hut or whatever in Laguna Beach. Okay, let's get Gallagher on. Makes no sense. No, I think it makes perfect sense. Gallagher has nothing to do with Leave It to Beaver. Maybe he's a big fan of Leave It to Beaver, Mike. Well, who's not a fan of Leave It to Beaver, but... I mean, you know, that just doesn't mean, okay, I'm a big fan of Leave it to Beaver. Hey, let's call up this, you know, no-name schmo from the audience and let him play the game. It's just, <laughs> it, 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 it's like mixing oil and, and water. It just doesn't mesh. It doesn't combine. But, yeah, so, so that was one of the more interesting pairings, uh, uh, maybe in history, honestly. The, the Leave it to Beaver week with Gallagher. (laughs) Another thing about the celebrities, and I mentioned this earlier with Twyla Littleton and Barbie Benton, is we noticed that, or at least I noticed, that there's like a token bimbo of the week on almost every panel, at least for the first maybe three months. Examples. I'm going to put Twyla Littleton in there, even though it doesn't say anywhere that she did any sort of magazines. But Barbie Benton certainly did. Week two, Shannon Tweed certainly did. And week three, we all know, even though there really isn't anyone that you consider a bimbo, by default, Lydia Cornell was the bimbo of the week. No! Take that back. Lydia Cornell played a college student on Too Close for Comfort. How dare you say that? Listen, I, I I love Lydia Cornell. You know, I I love her, but 
know, we we didn't have a bimbo. We had to have someone occupy that seat. We had to have someone be the acting bimbo. Well, I'm going to give Greg credit there because the other two females on the panel that week were Edie McClurg, who's definitely not a token bimbo, and Gloria Loring, who is Robin Thicke's mom. Yes. <laughs> but then we go on. Week four, uh, Rebecca Holden. Guess what she was in? She was in Playboy. Week five, you don't have anybody really, in terms of a token bimbo, somebody who may have been in uh, uh, adult magazines, but Audrey Landers is certainly, I mean, she's beautiful. She's a little, let's say, lightheaded. I, I don't want to be mean and stereotype blondes, but let's just say her blonde side was coming out. And that's just on, 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 we haven't seen Match Game Hollywood Squares how she did, but j- just based on her track record on the regular Match Game back in the late 70s and early 80s. And then uh, Karen Witter's another one. That's week six. Vicki McCarty was in Playboy week seven. Don't ask me how I know these uh, people are in Playboy. Uh, I got it on Wikipedia. Wink, wink, wink. <laughs> Uh, Victoria oh. Holman, I believe, was a model of some sort and might have done it. And then you've got the the uh, week of Leave it to Beaver. And then just like some of the other names, just people I've never heard of. And some people that don't even have any sort of like Wikipedia page or real entry in IMDb outside of Christine Claridge was a, best known for Match Game Hollywood Squares. Parentheses, 1984. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, just look at the names. Christy Claridge. Uh, Jenna Lee Harrison was on week 11. She was actually on Three's Company, and she, she was not uh, a ditzy uh, bimbo. No, even not though, even though you may want to classify her as one for that week. Uh, but just, just looking at the, the listings for every week, there's invariably one name, and it's usually a female name, that I've never heard of. And and I'm not going to stereotype by calling them ditzy bimbos, because actually after looking at some of the names yesterday, they were soap opera stars. And obviously that was sort of a demographic they were trying to uh, to get to watch the show, because Match Game Hollywood Squares Hour aired at 3 p.m., at least Eastern. So that was the perfect time for the soap opera watchers for the general hospital watchers and the, uh, whatever would have been on uh, CBS at the time as the world turns, I believe. So yeah, that the, the, they're trying to bring in those viewers too. Uh, but yeah, just like I said, there's like invariably one name that I've never heard of, but they did get some interesting celebrities. They did. Oh, yes. Uh, just yeah. some, some of the names that you may not have recognized back then, but are definitely recognizable now. Jay Leno did a couple of weeks. As, uh, as much as we may hate saying that name. And Arsenio Hall did a number of weeks. Yes. Unfortunately, we, Bert, I, we, I wish Burton Richardson had been there to introduce him. That would have been good. That that would have been epic. Oh, man. But Can you then, imagine the 
crowd in NBC Burbank doing the woo, woo, woo. I don't know if they would have done the woo, 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 but yeah, extending that O out for like 10 seconds, that would have been great. But Burton was probably, what, nine, I'm sorry, not nine, six or seven years away from announcing. I mean, Arsenio Hall would have been like 89, maybe 88. So that was easily five, six years away. Well, hold uh, up, Mike. Ed Begley uh, Jr. established in week two he had a time machine. No, Ed Begley Jr. was established. He was on St. Elsewhere. No, I'm talking about the time machine he talked about in week two. Jeez. <laughs> oh, tor- we talked about this. The tortoise that runs on vegetable oil. <laughs> Another inside joke. I'm sorry. <laughs> But then week 10, week 10, which is the first full week of of 1984, and we've actually tried looking into this to see what he was doing at the time. Why would he be on Match Game Hollywood Squares as a panelist? David Ruprecht. Yes, David Ruprecht, who, of course, we all now know for Supermarket Sweep, for some reason is on the first week in 1984. The only thing we could gather is in the last few episodes of Three's Company, he played uh, somebody's boyfriend, I believe. And But the thing is, those episodes probably would have aired like May of 84 or April of 84. And the only other thing I can think of that David Ruprecht would have done was he did that movie, uh, the, uh, the Harlem Globetrotters, uh, on Gilligan's Island or whatever it was. Yes, he played Thurston Howell the fourth. Yeah, he played. Th- yeah, he, 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 Thurston Howell the third or the fourth. No, no Thurston Howell the third was on the TV show. Yeah, Thurston Howell the fourth. So we're sort of stumped as to what David Ruprecht would have done in early '84 to merit a spot on on the panel. Uh, and then just going through the list, looking for other names. Uh, I mentioned Jay Leno already. Uh, we know who this person is, Bill Cullen. Yes. The legend. It's going to be interesting to see those shows because from what I've heard, Bill didn't walk across the stage for semi-obvious reasons, if you know about Bill Cullen. Uh, so he just you know, stood at his lectern his where he was sitting and sort of gave a wave or may have stood up. Um, let's see here. Just going through this real fast to see if... Oh, Sally Julian. February of 84, Sally Julian. What was she doing? Because she was off sale of the century by that time, I believe. I don't know. Maybe she was still under NBC contract. Eh, Possibly, but there's another token bimbo of the week. Oh, yeah, for sure. And then you, I mean, you had the usual stars coming on to pitch their shows. Uh, Bill Cullen would have pitched Hot Potato, most likely. Uh, Bob Eubanks was on. He would have been pitching Dreamhouse. Uh, let's see here. Were you waiting for me to make a Dreamhouse joke? Not really. I'm, I'm just looking through the list. But yeah, uh, and then they, they brought on star, yeah, more stars for their new shows. They had Paula Kelly on, who was on Night Court. Richard Mall, who was on Night Court. Uh, Marky Post was on, but she would have been on The Fall Guy at the time. 
Yeah, because who was who was the uh, who was the first attorney at the time? Uh. That was Paul Kelly, I believe. Okay. Or, or Ellen Foley. Ellen Foley, yeah, I Ellen believe, was Foley. the first. Okay. Yes, so, Ellen Foley. Then it was Paul Kelly for the second season, uh, I believe. Or maybe... Well, it, it was either Paul Kelly or Ellen Foley. I think it was Foley first. Or no, Foley, Ellen Foley. I'm sorry. Ellen Foley was who Mac Robinson was, the, the, the court reporter. Okay. Uh, so, yeah, it may have been Paula Kelly first because Paula Kelly definitely was on this and she was definitely on Night Court, at least for the first season, if not the second season until or third season, rather, until Marky Post became available because Fall Guy was not there anymore. OK. And of course, Marky Post forgot to mention former Mark Goodson, Bill Todman employee. She worked on Double Dare. She was a card turner occasionally on Card Sharks. Yeah, so she's totally familiar with the Mark Goodson family. There's actually no other names here that I see that we'd recognize as future stars. Uh, But um, so there is a little bit of maybe untapped talent there. I mean, Jay Leno was a known commodity, love him or hate him, back in 1983. He was doing appearances on Carson and uh, and stand-up stuff. Uh, but one thing we haven't covered, the music. Oh, yes, the music. The music, I mean, this might be the most bombastic piece of, of game show music in history with, with the, the horn section and just, just the way the open was. You have this big light board, which literally stretches across the stage, or at least the visible part of the stage that you saw on TV, and it's flashing the names, and out comes the, the celebrity with their name in you know, 20-foot high letter or 15-foot high letters, and the, the theme is just classic. I mean, once you hear it, you sort of get little tingles because you know you're in for something special. Oh, yes, and it's so... The way Gene Wood, the the famous Goodson Todman announcer, announces the show. It's time for the match game. Hollywood Squares. Hour. With. And then you get. Then you see the name pop up. And then it walks down. You're excited. Then the next name comes up. And the next person walks down. You're excited. It's. It makes it feel like this is going to be an epic show you're about to watch. And, and this was like top-of-the-line graphics probably in 1983. I mean, this is something that really, that, that light board, you saw in like 50 Grand Slam kind of, sort of, back in 1976. But not to this degree. I mean, that light board was comparatively smaller. But still, it was a, 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 a very uh, high-tech piece of machinery for for 76 but yeah that board you knew you're in for something special and i don't know at least for me i know you weren't around at the time or at least if you were you're in diapers so you didn't really watch it per se i would have been two months pregnant with my my mom would have been two months pregnant i'll say you would have been two months pregnant boy science is amazing (laughs) no. <laughs> oh Jesus! But but yeah, I was nine years old at the time. Uh, actually, at the start of the show in, in October of '83, I would have been eight, and I was in third. Uh, no, I would have been in fourth grade in 1983-84. And I remember 
the, we would be dropped off from school. It was probably about 250 to 255. So that was just enough time to kick off your shoes, turn on the TV, get a little comfortable. And here's the theme music, the epic theme music and this big signage on stage. And even as a eight year old, nine year old, I recognize some of the names, uh, you know, the, the, there were names at the time. I mean, I used to watch Real People as a little kid, so I knew who Skip Stevenson was, and I heard of you know some of the other names, uh, some of the other celebrities. Like I said, I didn't know anything about uh, about the adult magazines at the time, nor do I now. Wink, wink, wink. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, like you said, you knew you were coming in for like something special. This. This is like akin to Price is Right. You've got the flashing light border. You've got Johnny Olsen saying, come on down. It, it, it's really one of the epic openings of game shows. Not, not that a game show would have lasted a longer time because they opened, but it's one of those that you remember. And speaking of the announcers, you mentioned Gene Wood. Gene Wood was the perfect announcer for that show. Just like he was the perfect announcer for Card Sharks, at least the NBC version from 78 to 81. The reason I say that, he has like the timing and cadence down. He knew how to read the poems at the right, you know, uh, the right cadence, the right timing. And he knew when to do that on Card Sharks. He did the same here. Perfect timing. And I'll give you the counterexample for both of them. There was a while, I believe in 80 and maybe 81, when Gene Wood didn't announce, because he was a busy guy at the time, he would have done uh, Family Feud at the time. And not just Family Feud on daytime, but he also did the nighttime version. Yes. And this wouldn't have coincided with Card Sharks. But he did uh, Child's Play at the time. Again, that's 82 to September of 83. So that's right before Match Game Hollywood Squares. But the thing is, he was a busy guy. I mean, you're talking about 10 episodes of Family Feud a week, plus five of Match Game Hollywood Squares, which is an hour-long show. So you're essentially doing... you're, You're doing 10 hours of shows per week or the equivalent of 20 half-hour shows. That's a lot of work. So they brought in uh, some some sub uh, they brought in some substitute announcers. They had on Card Sharks like Johnny Olson did a few episodes, and I think Jack Nars did a few episodes, or, or Art James I, I think did a few episodes. Bob Hilton did some, and they just didn't get that timing right. So you'd have like the poem bed, uh, the poem read really quickly, and then you have on card sharks, and then like three seconds later, they'd zoom into the logo. That's something that Gene Wood had down pat and was missing. And the same thing was true of Match Game Hollywood Squares Hour. There is footage online of one episode of Johnny Olson's announcing. And he just does not get the timing right. I mean, he's a great announcer, probably the best ever. Oh, he's one of the legends. He he's one of the best. But the thing is, for the Hollywood Squares part, uh, 
yeah, if you saw the, the, the light board on the back, th- there was a certain timing. It's the match game, and there's the, up flashes the name match game. Hollywood Squares, up, up flashes the name Hollywood Squares. Hour, the word hour flashes up. When Johnny Olson did this, it was stay tuned for the second half of match game Hollywood Squares hour. And you see the lights in the background, match game, Hollywood Squares, hour. And and he just totally screwed up the timing. Again, that might be just because Gene was just used to doing that show. I mean, obviously we said he did, uh, there were 191 shows and let's say Gene did at least 150 of them or 140 of them. You know the rhythm. You're, you're used to it. Johnny Olson just didn't have it. But it's uh, yeah, if, it's one thing if it's the Price is Right, you know, for Johnny. It's you know, this person come on down, this person come on down, and then you know, you're the next four contestants on the Price is Right. You know, it's used. He's used to doing that formula for like so many times, and I'm sure if reverse happened it would feel weird so i mean when you when he when johnny's placed into this other environment where you have someone who's established the rhythm of the show it becomes very different and weird and that's exactly what i was just going to say johnny was in his environment uh at price is right i mean he had done it at that time 11 years so yeah, it's almost like riding a bicycle at that point for him. You put him on a different show with different pacing, he's probably not going to respond properly unless you know Mark Goodson pulled him to the side and said, okay, you've got to do it this way, put a pause in. When you see this, do it again. Yeah, so it happens. I mean, but, but the thing is, Gene Wood was like the perfect host for it. And actually, speaking of Price is Right, the theme... People yes. may remember it from Match Game Hollywood Squares, but for, I would say, almost the better part of 25 years, if you heard that theme on Price is Right, you knew you were playing for a very nice car. This wasn't like Chevy Chevelle or Ford Pinto or an AMC Gremlin type of car. You were playing for a Lincoln Town car or a Corvette or something in that stratosphere. That that was the bombastic theme used to say, hey, you're playing for a car that's worth $30,000, $35,000, not a little, you know, $8,000 Geo Metro or something like that. And it's sad they got rid of that music. Not, not just that cue, but the entire package. But you knew something was special when you heard that music, when you heard the, the first couple notes. When, when when you when you heard that yeah the, the first second which you'd hear in the open to match game Hollywood Squares you knew something big was happening. Oh yes. And there's actually one last thing we haven't talked about yet. I know we're going a little long here. We want to do about an hour, but it's our podcast. <laughs> and also, Buzzer's been rerunning it recently the last two weeks with their new fall schedules oh and that's another thing we should add is like of all the entries that we're doing this is probably one of the few that's actually being rerun on tv right now so if you've got buzzer on your system and want to catch this 
It's on every weeknight at 10 o'clock Eastern, p.m. Eastern. And it also reruns on the weekends, too. Definitely give it a look. I mean, this is, it's a piece of history in some ways, and it's very polarizing. You either really love it or you really hate it. There really isn't like, "Eh, it's sort of good. It's either you're diehard, oh, this is like, how did this last just nine months? Or you're like, this should have been off the air by yeah, February of, of, of 84. But uh, there, there's one last thing, and this this sort of a segue into next week's episode. One thing that we've noticed as we watched th- these first two to three weeks of, of Match Game Hollywood Squares, as we said earlier, they're really pushing NBC shows. You've got Terry Copley or uh, Tom Villard from We've Got It Made. Or you've got this celebrity from this show. You know, we said Skip Stevenson from Real People. One thing, and, and this may be either NBC, either just with due to the amount of advertising for this show, or it might be maybe the network just told them, okay, we need you to promote this show because this show is so innovative and we need higher ratings. Or maybe there's just, it just somehow just made the circuit uh, early on in, in November of 83 that this show was a dog. But there have been at least, I'd say at least four references to a show called Mr. Smith. Mr. Smith, yes. Oh. And, and this is a show that even though, like I said, it's gotten plenty of mentions, uh, at least four or five. I mean, there were even questions written about Mr. Smith on uh, on Hollywood Squares. You could tell that they thought Mr. Smith was going to be a hit. This was this was like how in the early teens, how NBC thought, "Oh my God, everyone's gonna love Whitney Cummings. We gotta we gotta put seventy five percent of our advertising behind this." Yeah, I mean, this isn't unlike other shows you may be hearing about in the near future, possibly, <laughs> uh, where NBC or Fox or whatever network pushes like their entire advertising budget during the World Series or the Super Bowl or the Olympics that you got to watch this new show when it comes out on you know September 28th, even though you know the Olympics are happening in July 28th. Yeah, you know, oh, this show's so good, we're pushing it two months in advance. And it turns out to be a dog. It turns out to be a topic of this podcast. <laughs> and there actually is an example of that, which may or may not come up in the near future. I'll mention it. Uh, back in the 07 World Series, Fox was pushing the rich list. Oh, there were so many uh, uh, advertisements for the rich list. And the show lasted one episode. So, yeah, it's the same thing with Whitney. NBC was barraging us with Whitney. Whitney's the next big thing. Whitney, Whitney, Whitney. And that must have happened with Mr. Smith because, again, the celebrities are making mentions of Mr. Smith. There was a question about Mr. Smith in terms of what is Mr. Smith most likely going to do before he goes to sleep. Eat cookies and drink milk or have relations with a female, uh, Orantan. 
The answer is cookies and milk. Sorry. You know, I think I think Mr. Smith would have been a much better show if he had like a female orangutan. Oh, there, there, there might have been a Mrs. Smith. The problem is there's so little footage of Mr. Smith on YouTube, and we'll get into that the next uh, installment. But it's just Mr. Smith, Mr. Smith, Mr. Smith. Uh, there was a question on matching about uh, the, you know, the definite uh, the, the dictionary, the definition of ugly has a picture of blank next to it. And what does Nidra Vol say, Mr. Smith? And I think that actually sort of started us on the Mr. Smith track. Who the heck is Mr. Smith? And we'll definitely get into who Mr. Smith is next week. But uh, and also, you know, it's kind of interesting because Mr. Smith is next week. Greg, who's a celebrity on Match Game Hollywood Squares reruns this week on Buzzer? Oh, it's going to be Mr. Leonard Fry, Mike. From Mr. Smith. From Mr. S- uh, you know, I cannot wait because it's, let's see, today as we're recording this, it's uh, it's Sunday. So let me see. At the time uh, of recording it's this. Sa- wait, 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 wait. It's Saturday. Oh, it's Saturday. I'm sorry. <laughs> I got my days of the weekend mixed up. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Uh, so- I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I was in Ed Bagley Jr.'s artist that runs on vegetable oil all week so so correct me greg uh, if i'm wrong but i believe as of the time we're recording this we are 51 hours and 10 minutes away from hearing gene wood say from mr smith leonard fry oh my god that's gonna be so epic (laughs) gene wood has has said some many great things in game show history i mean one thing we talked about was when Buzzer did the International Women's Day Marathon, they had the Family Feud 94 episode with uh, Carol Burnett and Betty White, where he right. introduced it like a big prize fight. Yes. I, I'm sorry, but this, this when he says from Mr. Smith Leonard Fry, you know that those are going to be the five greatest words he's ever spoken in the history of the medium. And we're not joking. We're, we're really anticipating seeing this because, again, Mr. Smith is this big thing. NBC's big hit for uh for fall of 1983 and it doesn't even see 1984 uh which seems almost typical of most shows on nbc in 1983 because not spoiling anything there's more besides mr smith which you may or may not hear about in the near future um oh let's just give it up you're gonna hear about these shows uh, yeah, they were still a year away from really hitting the jackpot with Cosby Show and Night Court. Uh, I mean, they Mike, still had a Mike few... in the term twenty in the year twenty nineteen. The term hitting the jackpot with Cosby doesn't really mean it, it, it does well. But the thing is, in a nineteen eighty four sense, it does. But I totally get what you mean. We we don't want to give Mr. Cosby more credit than he deserves. Oh no no no. But 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 the thing is, in nineteen eighty four. His show was the thing, whether we want to admit it or not. So, yeah, next week, Mr. Smith, you're going to go ape over it. Ha, 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 He's not an ape. He's an orangutan. <laughs> so, yeah, we'll have that next week. Uh, in the meantime, we are on social media. We have plenty of presences. We are on Jack Dorsey's Twitter machine at twitter.com slash it, uh, it, it was, it was a thing, thing on TV. TV. 
I almost forgot the I name of the podcast. Oh my gosh. It was a thing on TV. We're also on Tumblr at it was a thing on tv.tumblr.com. We're on Facebook at facebook.com slash it was a thing on TV. And you can find the podcast at it was a thing on tv.podbean.com. So for Greg Diener, this is Mike Klaus. We'll see you next week when we talk about Mr. Smith. You'll go ape. It didn't work the first time. <laughs> you'll, you'll go bananas for it. <laughs> Bye-bye. Talk to you later. <laughs>